It's going to have two 9-inch displays. When you unfold it, those two 9-inch displays will be in a 4 by 3 aspect ratio. Always connected, so it'll have LTE or 5G built in. This is where it gets interesting. It'll run Android apps. So it'll run apps that will work with the Windows Core OS, but it'll also run, in addition, Android apps. And it'll also support running iCloud services as well. Welcome to Geared Up, brought to you by National Car Rental. I'm Andrew Edwards, editor-in-chief of GearLive.com. Geared Up is your weekly look at the world of consumer electronics and gadgets, keeping you up to date on all the latest tech. We've got several interesting stories this week, including rumors of two new Nintendo Switch consoles, a new Microsoft foldable Surface device, and the ongoing battle between Apple and Spotify. Those are the main stories. We also have the Q&A submitted by you guys, the listeners. I've gathered all your submissions from social media. We'll be answering questions at the end of the show. Before we jump into the first story, just a couple of quick updates. First of all, the iOS 13, iPad OS 13, Mac OS 10.15 Catalina, and tvOS 13 public betas are now available. So if you are a member of the public and wanted to get your hands on the beta version of the upcoming releases for the iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch, Apple TV, and Mac. You can do that right now. Just go into Google and search for iOS 13 public beta. It'll take you over to Apple's website where you can sign up. It costs you nothing. Well, I should say it costs you nothing monetarily. It may cause you some frustration and cost you some time depending on your experience with the beta. Beta software is unfinished software. It's still in the process of being finished and they're using your feedback as a beta user to fix any bugs and any inconsistencies and just little things that you think aren't working properly. You submit those to Apple right through an app on your phone or your Mac your iPad, whatever device you're using, and then they address those things in the next beta. So every roughly two weeks, you'll get a new beta update. And every two weeks, the software will get better and better leading up to the release in mid-September. So if you want to get in on the iOS beta, if you can't wait till September and you are more adventurous, you can install the iOS 13 and iPad OS and Mac OS and TV OS betas, depending on which devices you have. Next up, I released a video earlier this week over on YouTube. If you want to see it, head over to youtube.com slash gear live. It's a video on using Xbox and PlayStation 4 DualShock controllers on iOS. So meaning you're able to use your Xbox One or your PlayStation 4 DualShock on your iPad, your iPhone, your Apple TV or your iPod Touch. It's a feature coming in iOS 13. And if you join the beta that I just mentioned a minute ago, you can give this a try as well. You basically connect your controllers through Bluetooth to your Apple devices. And for me, it's a game changer because I hate touchscreen controls. I don't like touching the screen to play a game unless it's a very simple game. But if I'm playing something like NBA 2K or a racing game or something like that, I don't want to use on-screen controls and obstruct my view of the display because my thumbs are in the way and a controller is just much more convenient and comfortable and efficient anyway. So this is a game changer because if you go on a plane, you have your iPad Pro with you, for example, you now have a very strong video game machine with you at all times. Just take out your controller, set up your iPad, on your pull-down tray, and you are good to go, and you can game on the go. So again, if you want to see that video, it goes more in-depth into how all this works, youtube.com slash gearlive. Check it out there. And of course, while you're there, you can hit that subscribe button to stay up to date on when any new videos 
get released. And then last bit of news before we jump into the main stories for the day, I'm just doing more research on this. This will probably be a main story next week or the week after. Apple's apparently working on, or has been working on, a new 16-inch MacBook Pro with a new redesign. And the original rumor was this would be a 2020 device, but now we're hearing it actually might be coming sometime before the end of the year, so sometime this fall. Now, Apple did just refresh the 15-inch MacBook Pro, but the word on the street is that this new 16-inch model will be a more powerful version. So it's not just a new screen size, but this might in some way be equivalent to the Mac Pro, but for the laptop form factor. It may even get a new name. I don't know where you go from MacBook Pro because that's already the Pro machine, but we'll see what happens. So again, I will do more digging on that and that will likely be a main story in the coming weeks, but I just thought you should know if you're thinking about upgrading or buying a MacBook Pro. We are in late June, and in a few months, we may see a brand new form factor in this 16-inch model. All right, let's jump into the news. First story of the day, the Nintendo Switch Mini and Pro. There is a rumor that Nintendo is readying two new Nintendo Switch consoles. And we're seeing a lot more on one of them than the other. So the Nintendo Switch Mini is the one we're seeing a lot more about. We're getting leaks from case manufacturers who are making actual cases for this device. The New York Times reported that these are in production now. So again, all rumors, nothing confirmed by Nintendo. Interesting because E3 was just a couple of weeks ago, which would have been the perfect place to announce these. But here's the rumors. First, Nintendo Switch Mini. The current Nintendo Switch launched on March 3rd, 2017. So just over two years ago. Still sells for $299. The Nintendo Switch Mini would sell for $100 less at $199, but it would be an all-in-one unit. So the controllers would be built in to the display. Well, not built into this, but it'll all be one piece. So on the current Nintendo Switch, you can remove the controllers, the Joy-Cons they're called. You can remove them from the display. You can hand one to a friend. You can stand up the display separately. You can play it docked to the display. You can dock it to your TV. That's why it's called the Switch. It can switch between all these different modes. Well, the Switch Mini doesn't really switch at all. The name doesn't make sense. It would just be an all-in-one unit, similar to like a Game Boy. So all the controls are built in, nothing comes apart. It doesn't dock into the TV and then switch over its feed to your big screen TV. It would basically be a new portable console, almost the successor, I would guess, to the Nintendo 3DS. It would still play all the Switch games, which is fantastic. So you'd have those full game experiences on the go on a cheaper console. Um, same 720p display as well. Just cheaper to make. It would probably lose the rumble, people are saying. So that 3D rumble vibration that the current Joy-Cons have, the Switch Mini would not have that. So cheaper to build, cheaper to make, cheaper for you to buy as a consumer, which makes it easier for Nintendo to grow the Switch ecosystem. Now on the flip side of that, there's also the Switch Pro. There's rumors here, but not as much as the Switch Mini. Switch Pro would likely have 128 gigabytes built in instead of the current 32 gigs that the currently shipping Nintendo Switch has, which is great because 32 gigs is not enough for even one game in some cases. For example, if you bought one of the NBA 2K games, it required more than 32 gigabytes to download right off the bat. So even just that one game, was too much for the current Nintendo Switch, and you had to buy 
a micro SD card to add storage if you wanted to play just that one game. So 128 gigs would be a welcome change. Eight gigabytes of RAM up from four gigs, which would help with speed and caching. A new NVIDIA Tegra based system on a chip. So faster processing there as well. This one is rumored to have a 1080p display, which would be an upgrade from the current 720p display that we have right now on the Switch and that the Switch Mini would be getting. And then they're also saying it would be 4K output capable. I don't know if that means 4K gaming or if they're saying video services like Netflix, if you install Netflix on your Switch, would be able to export a 4K signal. Now the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One X have both been 4K capable in gaming for a couple of years now. So it would be good to see Nintendo step up to 4K gaming as well. Now the Switch Pro, and that's actually not that, I'm just calling it the Switch Pro. This unit would still do the switching. It would still have a dock. You can switch it over to your TV, etc. And that's where the 4K would come into play. You're not going to get 4K when you're on the go, but when it's docked, you get 4K. Curious though, how many of you guys are playing your Nintendo Switch? How many of you guys own a Nintendo Switch, first of all, but how many of you are playing your Nintendo Switch regularly these days? Let me know. Hit me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Andrew Edwards, or you can DM me on Instagram at Andrew, or leave me a comment on YouTube, youtube.com slash gear live. I'm curious how many people bought a Switch and still play it. I love my Switch. I don't play it as much these days, but whenever a big game comes out, I jump right back in. So there just hasn't been a major title that I wanted to play on Switch. So I've been doing more of my gaming on the Xbox One X recently. But let me know, how are you with the Switch? How are you with gaming in general? Do you game? Do you like gaming? Or am I wasting my time covering gaming news on Geared Up? Because none of you guys out there care about this topic. Let me know so I can adjust my expectations of the audience accordingly. All right, up next, we are talking about Microsoft's rumored upcoming foldable Surface tablet device. That is coming up next on Geared Up. Welcome back to Geared Up. I'm Andrew Edwards, editor-in-chief of GearLive.com, and it is now time for the National Car Rental Story of the Week. Big shout-out to National Car Rental for sponsoring Geared Up. And if you're listening to this show, you're probably into tech and gadgets, one would assume. If you're also into travel, whether it's business travel or personal travel, you're going to want to check out my other show that I do with National Car Rental. That one is called Technically Speaking. You can check it out over at the NationalCar.com Control Center or on YouTube.com slash National Car Rent. It's a show where I talk about all the best tech, my picks, for making your travel easier, more fun, and more efficient. So if you want to know about the latest travel tech, be sure to check out Technically Speaking. The latest tech puts you in the driver's seat. National Car Rentals Emerald Club will keep you there. Now, on to the National Car Rental Story of the Week. Microsoft is apparently working on a new foldable Surface device. Now, this is according to a Forbes report, a real Forbes report, by the way, not one of those contributor reports. If you ever go to Forbes.com and you're reading a story, look at the byline right under the headline. Look at the name of the author of the story and look at their position. If it says contributor, then they do not work for Forbes. And the story is highly suspect in my personal opinion. Forbes has a program where anyone can sign up to write about anything they want as a contributor. It's basically just opening a blog, but instead of having a blog on your own website or your own WordPress site, you have a blog under the Forbes domain, which makes it appear that you work for Forbes, but you really don't. You just got approved to post as a Forbes contributor. So this report comes from an actual Forbes person. They're saying there's gonna be a new foldable Surface device. It's gonna run Windows Core OS, WCOS, 
with a dual display UI. So it's not full Windows 10, but it's based on Windows 10. It's gonna have two nine inch displays. When you unfold it, those two nine inch displays will be in a four by three aspect ratio. Always connected, so it'll have LTE or 5G built in. This is where it gets interesting. It'll run Android apps. So it'll run apps that will work with the Windows Core OS, but it'll also run, in addition, Android apps. And it'll also support running iCloud services as well. This is a dual pane folding device. So when I say dual pane, what I mean is it's two separate displays. It's not one folding display like the Samsung Galaxy Fold, for example. So it's not a folding screen. It's a folding device, similar to how a laptop is a folding device without a folding screen. Except instead of one side being a screen and one side being a keyboard, both sides are screen. And this is a product that's expected to ship in either the first quarter or second quarter of 2020. So between nine and 12 months away. So this is very interesting for a few reasons. First, it's a foldable device. Foldable is a big buzzword right now, especially because of the Samsung Galaxy Fold. Again, it's not a folding display though, but the fact that it folds will give it some attention right off the bat. It's running an operating system that isn't full Windows 10, which means you're not gonna expect it to run all of your favorite Windows 10 apps, but it will run apps that are optimized for a mobile device. So this is probably gonna be seen more as a mobile device and less of a computer device. Two nine inch displays, so that's a, a pretty nice size. If you can imagine the iPad mini is a 7.9 inch, so it's an eight inch display. So like one inch larger than that on each side. Always connected, which goes back to the whole, it's a portable mobile device, LTE or 5G. So anywhere you go, you have connectivity on this device and running Android. Now this makes sense because Android is an open operating system, but this isn't running Android, but it has the ability to run Android apps. So obviously they're relying on the Android apps, the Google Play Store, to populate this device with apps because Microsoft's mobile operating system failed. And this has actually been big in the news this week. Bill Gates said the biggest failure that he's overseen, which is interesting because he wasn't really overseeing, he wasn't CEO of Microsoft at the time, but the biggest failure that he thinks Microsoft did, Microsoft committed, was allowing Android to become the dominant operating system, the dominant mobile operating system, and that Microsoft was late to the game, that Microsoft wasn't able to do it, that Microsoft failed at becoming not just the number one mobile operating system in the world, but even number two or three, they don't exist at all. There is no Microsoft mobile operating system you can get for phones. They canceled it, it died, it failed. So Microsoft making a device that runs Android apps and includes iCloud services, it's very interesting. This, this is a lot of partnership happening, a lot of Microsoft reaching out to other companies, Google, Apple, to include services from both companies to make this device even better rather than doing the thing that Microsoft would have done back in the day, which is it's a Microsoft device, it's a Windows device, it'll only run Windows apps and developers, if they wanna be on this device, need to make their apps compatible with Windows. Now they're saying, hey, there's Android apps out there, developers already have these Android apps, there's some pretty great Android apps out there. Let's get them on this device. I'm excited about this. I was excited about this back when it was called the Microsoft Courier, I think 10 years ago or so. There was a leaked video out of Microsoft showing a two-paned device. It looked like the current iPad Pro, but that could fold in half. So you would open it up, you'd have two screens, 
one on either side of the fold, and you'd have a stylus, and you can do all sorts of interesting work with this device. It was a proof of concept. It never came to fruition. But everything I'm reading here about this foldable surface sounds like that old Microsoft Courier device, but made for the modern era. If you've never seen this, if you've never seen the Microsoft Courier, I will leave a link down in the show notes to a video on my channel from back in the day showing what the Courier concept looked like. You can also just search Microsoft Courier in YouTube and you'll see it pop up there as well. Let me know what you think. Are you excited about a foldable Surface device like this with a pen, folds in half, runs Android apps, has iCloud built in? Surface hardware for me has always been very good. And so hearing about this, I'm excited to see what Microsoft can do with a device like this. Obviously, like I said, nine to 12 months away if the rumors are true, so we won't be seeing it for a little while. All right, after the break, we're talking about Apple and Spotify and the nonstop battle between these companies, the war of words. That's coming up next on Geared Up. Welcome back to Geared Up. I'm Andrew Edwards, editor-in-chief of GearLife.com, and it's now time to talk about the battle, the war of words, the back and forth between Apple and Spotify. Now, if you haven't been seeing this, it all started with Spotify saying that the App Store practices are unfair, that Apple charges too much, and they shouldn't be allowed to do this. They charge 30% of the subscription fee, which they don't charge to themselves. So basically, if someone signs up for Spotify, Apple collects 30% of that fee. Whereas if someone signs up for Apple Music, Apple doesn't pay themselves 30% of that fee, or at least we don't, we don't know if they do or not because they very well could. They can take 30% of that subscription fee and move it in their budget from one area and one department to the other. We don't know if they do that. Probably doesn't matter if they did or not. Apple came back saying, we built the App Store. You take advantage of marketing on the App Store. You take advantage of the eyeballs that the App Store brings, but you want to use the App Store but not pay for the privilege of being on the App Store. So they've been going back and forth for, I don't know, maybe a month or two. Um, today, Apple came out with another clapback. And this is a response to Spotify's anti-competitive lawsuit that they're filed against Apple over in Europe. Now, the claim Spotify made is that Apple charges them a 30% tax. So if someone signs up for $10 a month for Spotify, Apple's keeping $3 of that each month. Apple says no, to the contrary. Number one, Spotify doesn't pay 30%. Spotify pays 15%. So for every $10, Apple keeps $1.50, not $3. And that's because Spotify pulled out of the in-app purchase program back in 2016, which Apple says is the reason that all Spotify customers who qualify for in-app purchases only pay 15%. If Spotify remained in the in-app purchase program, then Apple would collect 30% only for the first year. Starting from year two, they would still only take 15%. So what they're saying is Spotify isn't telling the whole story. Number two, Apple says only 680,000 of Spotify's customers pay the 15% in that purchase fee. And they did the math and they said, so this is 0.5% of Spotify's customers. So half of 1% of Spotify's customers are the customers that Apple would take the 15% tax off the top from. The other 99.5% of customers are not using the in-app purchase for Spotify. Now, like I said, Apple and Spotify have been butting heads since Apple jumped into the music streaming business with the launch of Apple Music in 2015. Now, obviously, Apple does benefit from pushing their own streaming music platform, but because of that, Spotify's taken umbrage to its business practices 
including raising the price of Spotify. So Spotify did this. They raised the price of their own service for people who sign up through the in-app purchase, basically making it an additional tax on the customer. Whereas what Apple does is they take the fee off the top, making it a tax on the business so that the customer isn't having to pay more for the convenience of paying through the app store. Now, Spotify also did point out that Apple rejected two Apple Watch app submissions back in 2015 and 2016 as an anti-competitive practice. And as a result, Spotify still doesn't offer an Apple Watch app, even though Apple has since added a third-party API for music, which basically means at this point, Spotify can offer the app that they wanted to offer back in 2015 and 2016. It's just that Apple didn't have the capability available for developers to do that yet with third-party streaming for music. But now they do. Now it's available. So it's all on Spotify at this point to code and release an Apple Watch app if they want to. So it doesn't sound like the tension between Apple and Spotify is ending anytime soon. I can see both sides of this. And the reason I can is because I liken it to a PC. So with the iPhone and with Android, the apps that make it into the App Store are approved by the company. So whether it's Google or Apple, if they don't like something, they write the rules. If they don't like something about your app or they say it breaks their rules, your app doesn't make it to the store. If you want to play in the store, they take a cut when you sell something in their stores. Now, when I look at my Mac or PC, I can install anything I want. I don't need Apple or Microsoft or Google to pre-approve the things I want to install on my computer. They're pre-approving the things I install on my phone, which is my mobile computer. They pre-approve what I put on my tablet, but they don't pre-approve what goes onto my computer. I can choose to put whatever I want on there, Spotify or any other company. No one takes a fee but the company whose app I'm running. So I can see both sides. How come it's one way on mobile devices, but another way on computers? Curious what you guys think. Like I said, hit me back on Twitter at Andrew Edwards or Instagram at Andrew or over on the community tab on YouTube, youtube.com slash gear live. All right, let's get to some Q and A, some questions. The questions submitted by you guys. First one coming in from Brandon Lee. This is Tech Today over on YouTube. Shout out to Brandon. He says, I imagine the sadness from Etika may be fresh in people's minds. I know there are many creators out there, both new or experienced that struggle with mental illness. As someone with more experience of the ebbs and flow, can you share your thoughts on taking care of yourself as a creator? So for those who don't know, Etika is a, was a popular YouTube creator. He went missing a few days ago and was found uh, deceased today which is a big shame. I met him, actually, we talked about the Nintendo Switch earlier in this episode. I met him leading up to the launch of the Nintendo Switch at the Nintendo Store in New York City. He was super excited about the Switch. And meeting him back then, I mean, he just seemed like the happiest guy. He's a big Nintendo fan, happiest guy, big gamer. But slowly over time, you started to watch his content and you'd see he was entering a dark place. It either was that he was acting up and playing it up for the camera, or he really was entering a dark place. And obviously, with the results that we've just seen here, especially today, him being found dead, committing suicide, a lot of people thought it was him playing it up, but it actually was him falling into, you know, whatever it was, a dark place is what I want to say, because I don't know if it was depression, I would assume it was, but I don't want to put my words onto his situation without me knowing all of the facts. What I do know, going to Brandon's question, as he mentioned, I'm someone who's had more experience. I've been doing this for a long time. I've been a full-time creator for just over 15 years. 
So it is a lonely business in the sense that I work from home. I don't go into an office. I work by myself. I'm recording this podcast by myself. I record my videos by myself. Social for me is social media. My friends are on social media. Obviously, I can see my friends in person too, but during the day when people who would typically go into an office and see each other face to face, I see people on social media. But quite honestly, I think, you know, the thing is being a creator these days isn't just how it was back when Leonardo da Vinci was creating. Most people aren't just painting something or making a sculpture, which could be something lonely too, but you're doing it alone and you don't have people constantly critiquing you. Whereas today, if I put up a video on YouTube or if I make this podcast and I share it out over on Twitter, these are places where people can give instant feedback and say pretty much whatever they want to say, positive or negative or hurtful or attacking. And some people are not built for that type of feedback mentally. I would say most people aren't. And I'm not saying that it's something that I enjoy, but it's something that I'm able to, if someone leaves a comment that could be perceived as hurtful or negative or an attack. I really don't, it doesn't bother me. I don't care. I care about the people that are on my side. I care about the people that are giving me constructive feedback. I care about the people that want to help me get better and want to help me up my game in my content or want to ask me a question or maybe they want to give me praise, whatever it is. I appreciate people. And you can tell when you read a comment, is this person trying to attack me? Are they trying to bring me down or are they trying to bring me up? Or do they just have a question about something I said? I always say, if someone's trying to pull you down, that means that they're beneath you. That means you're above them for them to need to pull you down to their level. So if I'm already climbing above and trying to continue climbing up, anything you're doing beneath me doesn't bother me. I don't care about it. I'm not going to let it take my attention because my attention is on continuing to improve, continuing to improve my craft, continuing to up my game continuing to support my family, continuing to interact with the people out there who are on my side or who enjoy my content or who want to help me make better content for them. And again, for some people, these comments are too much and it's perfectly understandable because at what point in history have we had to deal with people constantly feeling bold enough to just say whatever hurtful things they want to say immediately not just to you or about you, but in response to work that you poured yourself into and shared with the world. You were vulnerable enough to share with the world and immediately people are judging you in multiple ways, whether it's judging your appearance, judging how you sound, judging how you look, judging your equipment, judging how often you publish, judging how you talk too much, judging how you talk too little, judging how, if you're a woman, how you look, how your makeup looks, what the clothes are you're wearing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's been no other time in history where you'd pour yourself into work, creating something, sharing it with the world, and then having people instantly and immediately be able to say whatever they want to say right back to it in response to it with a lot of the time, the responses being negative. So the way I look at it, Brandon, is this. Not everyone is cut out for every job in life. For example, I'm a terrible handyman. When someone sends me a smart home device that needs to be installed, I'll either call someone who's a professional to do the installation, or I will do the installation fully expecting to fail and that I'm going to have to call someone to help me fix what I did. Now, when I do succeed, I'm shocked. I'm not cut out for being a handyman. I'm not cut out to do that type of work. 
there's certain expectations in that line of work that I know, at least currently in my current state, I'm unable to do. So that's not the type of work that I should do. For some reason, when it comes to making videos on YouTube or making podcasts or anything that falls under the current creator umbrella, social media creator, social media influencer umbrella, it seems like if you stop doing it, if you find that it's not for you anymore and you tell people this isn't for me anymore, the response isn't supportive. The response isn't, hey, you're doing what's best for yourself. Fantastic. If this isn't for you, then you shouldn't do it. We support you. Instead, it's no, don't quit. Keep going. It doesn't matter how you just said it makes you feel. I like your content. And since I like your content, you should keep making the content because I like it and I support you. And it's not about how you feel. It's about how I feel. And I think that's a problem. In this day and age, you can see it all the time. If I'm on Twitter and someone says, hey, I'm thinking about stopping my channel. I'm thinking of quitting, making these videos. I'm not feeling it anymore. I'm not enjoying it anymore. You look at the responses. No, don't don't quit. You can't quit. Well, why can't they quit? If their mental health is suffering, why can't someone quit doing what's making their mental health suffer without people peer pressuring them? You think you're helping them. You think you're supporting them, but you're not. You're not listening to the message behind it, which is saying, hey, I'm struggling with this and I think I should stop or I should take a break or I shouldn't do it anymore. If someone says that, if one of your favorite creators out there says that, take a step back. Don't think of yourself. Don't think about the content that you like that you're not going to be getting anymore. Because if their mental health truly suffers as they push through and push forward, if you look at what happened in the case of Etika, if you really liked his content, that content is gone now. There will be no more videos made by Etika anymore due to the fact that he's no longer with us. Now, the death of Etika is a big deal in the YouTube circles and on social media. So what I'm gonna do with this episode is, this was the Q&A section, but I don't think it's appropriate for me to just treat this topic and that issue and his death as a simple Q&A question and then go on to the next one about how excited I am for the Galaxy Note 10 or whatever. So. We're gonna end it here. We're gonna end this week's episode here. Next week, we'll address more questions from the viewers. And hopefully next week, I'll also have more information on that 16 inch Apple MacBook Pro, along with all the other big news of the week. Hey, if you're not already, you should subscribe to my YouTube channel to see all my tech video reviews. You can do that over at youtube.com slash gear live. If you're listening to this episode of Geared Up and you're not subscribed, just search for Geared Up, two words, not one in your favorite podcast player, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, etc. Anywhere you listen, Geared Up is there. You can subscribe for free to get every weekly episode of Geared Up going forward. If you like what I do here, please do consider leaving a review in your favorite podcast directory. It really does help other people find the show. Geared Up is a Gear Life podcast, and you can see more from us at GearLife.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Andrew Edwards, and I will catch you in the next episode.